Welcome to another episode of the Buckets Rant Show. We have so much to talk about in this episode. We're going to be talking about my NBA playoff bracket. We're going to talk about the play-in tournament, which we saw in this past week. We're going to talk about the first game of the playoffs. We saw every team play one game in the NBA playoffs. We're going to look at that. And we're also going to look at the awards. They announced the top three finalists for each NBA award, so we're going to break that down. A very jam-packed show, as usual, Buckets Ranch show, and we're going to start it off by talking about the play-in tournament. The play-in tournament took place this past week, and it really set the tone for the playoff atmosphere. There's a lot of people that may not like the play-in tournament. There's skeptical about the new change and saying that certain teams that were in certain seating before deserve to be in the playoffs and not have to play their way in, especially with the gap between the amount of games between the teams and the standings. So there's a lot of controversy over that, but when it comes down to playing the actual games, when it comes down to playing the hoops, we see that it's good for the NBA and it's fun to watch. And it was very compelling, entertaining. You add storylines, great gameplay. So I was a big fan of the play-in tournament, especially this year. Last year, or excuse me, last week, we basically ran down my play-in predictions for every single play-in game, and I went perfect in those predictions. The one game that I said differently in terms of the outcome, I predicted the Clippers to beat the Pelicans, but I changed my pick before the game to the Pelicans when we learned that Paul George, unfortunately, was missing the game due to testing positive for COVID. So that was a big time blow for him, but the show must go on, unfortunately. So the Pelicans were able to secure their spot into the NBA playoffs. Paul George was the best active player for the Clippers. So that's obviously a big loss. We never know what's going to happen if Paul George was available to play. I think the Clippers would have won that game. But regardless, the New Orleans Pelicans very much so deserving of making the postseason after a 1-12 start, trading for C.J. McCollum and Larry Nance Jr., who played vital roles to their play-in victory, which we'll get into a little bit later. But we'll start it off from the top, the first play-in game, and work our way down. The first game was the Brooklyn Nets versus the Cleveland Cavaliers. And in this game, Kyrie Irving went crazy against his former team. He dropped 34 points with 12 assists. He shot a ridiculous 80% from the field. Most of the game, he'd only missed one shot, missed a couple late. But 12 for 15 overall, 3 of 6 from three-point range. 7 of 7 from the free throw line, and Kyrie has had some ridiculous performances lately, and the Brooklyn Nets are very, very happy that he's allowed to play in these games. This was a home game for the Brooklyn Nets, and if the vaccine mandate was not lifted, you wouldn't have been able to see Kyrie Irving in this game. The Brooklyn Nets probably don't win this game, which they won by 7 points. Kevin Durant was very good himself in this game, 25 points, 11 assists, 3 block shots, 2 steals. He shot 9 of 16 from the floor, 1 of 2 from three-point range. So he played well, but Bruce Brown was the guy that kind of came in as the unlikely source of just overall great play because you know what KD and Kyrie are usually going to bring to the table, but you need other guys to step up, and Bruce Brown definitely did that. 18 points, 9 rebounds, 8 assists, and 3 steals. And in the short roll game when they would trap or double-team Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving, Bruce Brown was the beneficiary of a lot of easy looks at the basket or dump-off passes to get his other teammates involved in that short roll action. So shout-out to Bruce Brown for making those plays, and his contributions were a big reason why the Brooklyn Nets 
were able to advance into the playoffs at the seventh seed, which they would take on the Boston Celtics in the first round. On the other side, you have Darius Garland. Darius Garland dropped 34 points with five assists for the Cavs, and it was unfortunate that the Cavs in this game were without the services of Jared Allen. He would have definitely helped them out as a rim protector and just overall defensively, which he did come back for the next playing game, which we're going to get into a bit later, but he would have liked to have his services in this game. Karis LeVert very much so struggled for the Cavs in this game, just 4 of 12 from the field, and really didn't get that much from other guys offensively outside of Evan Mobley. Evan Mobley had a big-time game, 19 points, 7 rebounds on 9 for 13 shooting, and he's basically, I know it doesn't count for the voting, but in the two play-in games, Evan Mobley solidified why he was my pick for Rookie of the Year, and he's been playing superb basketball on both sides of the ball. So the Cavs have a very bright future coming up. And then the second play-in game, on the first day of the play-in tournament, the 7 versus 8 matchup, we had the Minnesota Timberwolves defeat the Los Angeles Clippers. This man, Patrick Beverly, got on the scores table after the game, acting like he won the NBA championship. He was going crazy. And it was nice for the Minnesota Timberwolves fans to see that. It was definitely a big-time moment for Patrick Beverly going up against his former team in the Clippers, a team that traded him because they wouldn't give him the type of money that he was looking for. He felt disrespected by the offer that the Clippers gave him. And so he ended up going to the Timberwolves, one of the teams that he wanted to go to. He told the Clippers that he wanted to be traded to. And he said, we're making the playoffs. Before the season, he said, the Minnesota Timberwolves will be in the playoffs. And a lot of people, myself included, were like, they're close. They got a really nice team. And Patrick Beverly will be a big time boost. And if they have a couple guys take a jump, they could definitely be contenders for the playoffs. But I did not think this Minnesota Timberwolves team would make the playoffs, and they did. And it was very, very impressive that Patrick Beverly came in with that mindset. He definitely added a chip on the shoulder of these players. He got them feeling themselves extra confident, extra swag out there on the court. And we've been seeing it with the way Carl Anthony Towns has been performing, the way Anthony Edwards has played this year. Even a guy like D'Angelo Russell, who was huge in this game for the Timberwolves, D'Lo dropped 29 points with five rebounds, six assists, 10 of 18 from the field. Edwards dropped 30 on 10 for 21 shooting, 5 of 11 from three. And Patrick Beverly grabbed 11 rebounds and a lot of memes on social after the game. He said F the Clippers on Instagram live after the game. He was really, really feeling himself. And you love to see that type of emotion and energy but a lot of people myself included were clowning him about it because it was just hilarious it was hilarious to see uh him be that dramatic for a play in victory but it's it's good for the league and and the theater of all of that is what makes the play in tournament so great and towns really struggled their best player just three for 11 from the field he fouled out in this game some fouls i thought weren't really great calls I thought the officials in the first half were pretty bad in this game but it is what it is the Minnesota Timberwolves were still able to win despite that Paul George was able to play for the Clippers on this game he had 34 points seven rebounds five assists and three steals he struggled from the field uh, for most of the game but he erupted in the third quarter for I believe 17 points and really was giving the Clippers a great chance to win that game but they ultimately couldn't close it Reggie Jackson struggled just five for 18 from the field 
And at the end of the day, the Minnesota Timberwolves were the better team than the Los Angeles Clippers. And they had to now play against the winner of the 9 versus 10 matchup to see if they could stay alive for the postseason. Moving on to the 9-10 games, we had the Atlanta Hawks get a blowout win over the Charlotte Hornets. This game was not close whatsoever. Despite Trey Young struggling from the field, just 8 for 24, he did have 24 points and 11 assists. They got 20 po- 22 points out of DeAndre Hunter, 18 from Gallinari, who had 15 points and 17 rebounds for Clint Capella, and even Kevin Herter chipping in 13, Bogdanovich 13. Like The Hawks had a very, very balanced scoring performance. They had six players in double figures, and without John Collins that is big, Charlotte Hornets don't play any sort of defense, and offensively, their main guns just did not come through. Just 8 out of 22 from the field for Terry Rozier for 21 points. And while LaMelo did have 26 points, he shot just 7 for 25 from the field. Did have 8 assists, but just not the type of performance you would like to see out of your star backcourt. And those are the guys you're really counting on for offensive production when you can't guard anybody and you just did not get it. If you're a Charlotte Hornets, another year with a disappointing play-in tournament blowout, so... There's going to be a big-time offseason for the Charlotte Hornets to see what they're going to do moving forward with their roster. There's been some rumblings about potentially them getting involved in a Russell Westbrook trade, which would be interesting. We'll see what happens in terms of Charlotte. But Atlanta's moving on to take on the Cleveland Cavaliers. And in that game, we saw a Trey Young masterpiece in the second half. He was struggling in the first half, but came through in a big way in half number two. He dropped 32 points in the second half. He had 38 for the game, and he scored or assisted on 27 out of 33 Atlanta Hawks points in the third quarter. Given the stakes, just a remarkable performance from Trey Young, and he got his team into the playoffs with that game, and he did not get the similar contributions from some of these other guys that he got in the Charlotte Hornets game. Bogdanovich was the second-leading scorer with 19 points on 6-for-8 shooting, But other than that, just didn't get as much from your supporting cast. He also lost Clint Capella to injury in the late first half. So basically the whole second half, he was playing without Clint Capella and John Collins. So he was really carrying the group. And on the Hawks, or excuse me, on the Cavs side, you had Laurie Markkinen shooting the ball like he was Dirk Nowitzki out there. He had six threes for 26 points. Evan Mobley had another very, very nice game. Uh, Karis LeVert and Darius Garland both struggled from the field. Garland was just 9 out of 27, 1 out of 7 from three-point range, and that's really tough to do when your best players shooting like that. But this was basically the Trey Young game. At the end of the day, it came down to the best player, won the game, and the Cavs had so much length and rim protection, and Jared Allen made a big-time difference at the basket. But still, Trey Young is just a force. He's, he's ridiculous, and he wheeled the Hawks into the – playoffs with his performance I've been preaching for a minute that he's a top 10 player and he's been the best offensive weapon in basketball this year those things definitely came true in this game we'll get into his game one performance which wasn't as good in a bit but for now the Hawks in the playoffs shout out to them they won both playing games to get in same with the New Orleans Pelicans we talked about them making the playoffs. They did beat the San Antonio Spurs in a game that really wasn't that eventful, um, but they got in. And CJ McCollum had a really great first half in that game against the 
Spurs. The Spurs were just lucky to be there at this point. But shout out to DeJounte Murray and Greg Popovich and what they got going on there. But they, they lost by double digits. Brandon Ingram versus the Clippers had 30 points, 6 rebounds, and 6 assists. He was very efficient despite not taking a 3 in this game. A rough shooting night for McCullum and Valanciunas, but they were really aided by Larry Nance Jr. dropping 14 points with 16 rebounds off the bench. He only missed one shot and provided great energy, plus 13 in his 24 minutes of play. Also got some solid contributions from Trey Murphy off the bench. So big time win for the Pelicans. And as we touched on before, the Clippers were struggling a little bit to find out who they were going to run their offense through without Paul George. Although they do have guys that they've basically been playing with for most of the year because they've been without Paul George and Kawhi Leonard for most of the year. So Reggie Jackson tried. He had 27. Morris had 27. And there were runs in this game in which the Clippers took advantage and they had comfortable leads and we thought they were going to basically win the game but slowly but surely the Pelicans started chipping away they had multiple runs to get themselves back in the game and they just closed better than the Los Angeles Clippers at the end of the game getting a four-point victory to get them into the playoffs one of the greatest turnarounds that we've seen for a team to get into the playoffs and despite having a 36 and 46 record this year New Orleans Pelicans are playing playoff basketball so big time for them don't expect their best player Zion Williamson to come back, but still that's that's even more impressive that they were able to do it without their best player. So props to the New Orleans Pelicans for sure in that one. So that's all the play-in games. I'm going to give you guys my playoff predictions first, and then we'll talk about game ones in these series because we saw a lot of wild action in the first game of each and every series. So we'll get into that in a second. But for now, let's talk about my playoff predictions. And when I was doing my bracket, when I was thinking about the top teams to win a championship, I was looking at some aspects of the game that really are going to solidify to me whether you even belong in the conversation to contend for a championship. And based off of looking at champions in the years past, I'm also doing an NBA 2010 series. Uh, where I'm basically looking at the championship teams and looking at the top players and whatnot. So when I was looking back at that decade, and I even want to include uh, 2020 and 2021, I looked at basically the past 12 NBA champions, and I looked at some qualities that they have and basically came up with the parameters of what I believe to be a contending caliber roster and a team that actually has a legitimate chance to win the championship. So here's what I came up with. Superstar caliber talent. Basically, every team I looked at had a superstar caliber talent. This is one of the best players in the league, an MVP caliber player. And so that's number one. Number two, every team had at least a top 12 offensive rating. So basically, you're in the upper third in the league in offense and top 12 defense, upper third in the league in defense. So both sides of the ball, you got to be producing and you got to be basically elite on one side of the ball and borderline elite on the other side of the ball, or just be elite on both sides of the ball. Makes it even easier. Complete basketball teams win when it comes to playoff basketball. A lot of people say defense wins championships. 
And yes, if you have great elite defense to go along with your offense, you're in a much better position to win an NBA championship. However, if you don't have offense, you're not going to win the championship. You need to have offense as well and vice versa, elite offense, but your defense is terrible. You're not winning an NBA championship. So that's what I'm looking at, at least upper third in offense and defense. And then net rating is basically what puts together offense and defense. Basically, every team I looked at had a top 10 net rating. So if you want to be a championship team, you got to be in that group. And then some other categories that won't necessarily show up on the stat sheet. I'm looking at depth. How complete is your roster? Like, I know the rotations shrink in the playoffs, but at least have a reliable eight to nine man rotation that you can go to in big time moments and you can throw different guys in there depending on the matchup. I think that is important. And then having good coaching, making sure that your coaches are going to set your players and your team up for optimal success. When you look at the coaches that have won championships, there haven't been all just like Greg Popovich caliber coaches, but there's been some really high level coaches that have won championships. And you've seen the playoffs. There's been coaching as a big reason of why certain teams don't win an NBA championship. So I definitely think it's important to factor in. So when I looked at that criteria, I looked at all the teams in the NBA and I said, which teams are six for six or at least five for six in these categories. And so when I looked at six for six, you have three teams that are six for six and you have the Phoenix Suns, the Boston Celtics and the Memphis Grizzlies. And it's very interesting with those three teams because they all have very young players as their main guy. And so the superstar aspect of the conversation was kind of tough to assess, so to speak, uh, for these teams. So if you want to say that those three guys are superstars, John Morant, Jason Tatum, and Devin Booker, then you have six for six. But that could really go either way. I mean, John Morant was in the MVP talks, Jason Tatum, and Devin Booker as well. So I'm leaning to saying they're superstars in the league right now, but it's close. Like you could really argue that none of those guys are superstars if you really want to, but I would definitely say Tatum is the best player out of the bunch. He's the closest to superstar. In my opinion, Devin Booker and John Morant on some nights, I look at them and I'm like, yeah, for sure. On other nights, a little bit more questions for me, but I would say that if you consider those guys superstars, those are the guys that are atop the list. I will say I do think experience matters in the postseason, but you can still win with a young team if you have the talent and you have certain things going your way. So these three teams, uh, I, I definitely think are in the contender category. You have guys like Chris Paul for the Suns that provide that veteran experience, that playoff experience. The Celtics definitely have veterans as well. The Grizzlies, though, the Grizzlies are the toughest one because they just don't have the level of experience that some of these other teams have. So that one's a little bit tough for me, but all three of those teams are definitely contenders. And then let's look at the teams that have five out of six. Five out of six, you got the Golden State Warriors and the one blemish on the Warriors for going six for six. And this is going to be hilarious. I mean, <laughs> you're not even going to be able to fathom this, but the reason why the Golden State Warriors are not here is because their offense isn't top 12 in offensive rating. And you're like, what? That, that doesn't make any sense. And yes, you got to factor in Curry's missed some time, but you have 
Curry, Clay Thompson, Wiggins, Jordan Poole, Draymond Green, and your offense isn't top 12 in the NBA, that just doesn't make any sense. Curry is one of the best offensive weapons in the NBA. Klay Thompson and Steph Curry formed the greatest shooting backcourt the game has ever seen. You have two other guys that are capable of giving you 18-plus points on a given night. Like Offense is far from my concern with Golden State Warriors. So if offense is the only thing holding them back by this criteria, it's cool. Five out of six, I'll definitely take five out of six for the Golden State Warriors if those are the only things holding you back from fitting this criteria to a T. Milwaukee Bucks, a similar situation. Five out of six, but what's the one category that the Bucks don't fit? Defense? Are we are we serious? Giannis Antetokounmpo with Brooke Lopez, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Wesley Matthews, that's your starting lineup? And defense is the reason why you're not completing this? Like, ridiculous. They That's one of the best defensive units in the NBA. And a big reason for their defense not being to that standard is because of Brooke Lopez only playing like 13 games this season. He is the rim protector, along with Giannis Antetokounmpo. So not having him is significant. And when they do have him, they're undoubtedly one of the top defenses in the NBA. So... And they also had Drew Holiday miss, I believe, 15 games. Same with Chris Middleton somewhere in that ballpark. So a little bit skewed. But the Milwaukee Bucks, like if you're saying defense is the reason why the Milwaukee Bucks don't make this, I, I, respectfully, I'm not I'm not really taking that with much. Like <laughs> I believe they're definitely top 12 caliber defense. Probably closer to the top five, if we're being honest. And so two other teams meet five out of six. We got the Miami Heat and the Philadelphia 76ers. These teams are both contenders to me. Uh, I do definitely have a lot more concerns about the Miami Heat and the Philadelphia 76ers when it comes to just James Harden's consistency in the postseason, when it comes to Doc Rivers and some of his coaching decisions, Joel Embiid even in the playoffs. Like what version of Joel Embiid am I going to get? Uh, Tobias Harris can be hot and cold. So there definitely are some concerns about the Sixers. And then Miami, I've said this multiple times, I believe they're somewhat too reliant on their role players to for offense. Like Max Strews, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero. Like you're relying on these guys to hit three-point shots. And they're the best three-point shooting team of the week. So it's been a effective strategy for them all season. I mean, that is their bread and butter, but at the end of the day, in the postseason, your stars need to be able to provide you with a lot of offense. And will Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo do that consistently? Even a guy like Kyle Lowry, those are questions I have about the Miami Heat. But all in all, we'll take five out of six out of those teams. The Miami Heat's missing. They're missing a superstar, in my opinion. I don't think Jimmy Butler's a superstar. I don't think he's that guy anymore. Bam Adebayo's not a superstar, so they're definitely missing that. So, And then the Sixers, like, the depth aspect. I mean, they have a good core four in their starting lineup and maybe five or six, but they don't have great depth. So that was a big concern with the Philadelphia 76ers. But let's get into my playoff predictions. Again, I made these predictions and posted them multiple platforms before game one. So this is not biased to what happened in game one of the series. 
I'm going to let you know who I have winning, how many games. We'll start with the Western Conference. And we got the one seed, Phoenix Suns, versus the eight seed, New Orleans Pelicans. Before, when I had the Clippers in here, I had Suns in five. But when Paul George got injured, or COVID, switched to Suns in four over the Pelicans, I don't think the Pelicans stand a chance of beating the Phoenix Suns. I think the Suns have just been too good, too dominant all year. The Pelicans are multiple games under 500. This is a mismatch of all proportions. Although the Pelicans have talent, they just are too young. They just don't match up with the Suns, respectfully. So I got the Suns. And then you got Grizzlies and Wolves. Now this is the one that's looking the most shaky out of all the predictions I made. I had the Memphis Grizzlies winning this series in five games. Although I thought the Wolves could have some competitive games within the series, I did not think that the Minnesota Timberwolves would have a chance of extending this series to like a game seven or anything like that, or even winning the series in their own right. So the Minnesota Timberwolves won the first game. We'll get into that later. But in order for the Grizzlies and five to be right, the Grizzlies have to win every single game for the rest of the series. I think they're capable of doing that. I just think that they deserve the respect that they have proven they're they're capable of, at least in the regular season. They had the second best record in the NBA. They had one of the best defenses in basketball. Jaron Jackson Jr. is an excellent shot blocker. And they have a, just a complete team. I think the Grizzlies should be able to win this series. And I didn't think experience would be that big of a factor against the Minnesota Timberwolves who have arguably less experience than the Memphis Grizzlies. And age-wise, they're around the same age in terms of the average age of their rosters. So I just thought the Grizzlies would have the advantage here. But Carl Anthony Towns had a great game one. Anthony Edwards, like they have some talent over there in Minnesota. So hopefully it'll be a good entertaining series. But yeah, I got Grizzlies in five in that one. And then the three versus six matchup, you have the Golden State Warriors versus the Denver Nuggets. And I took the Golden State Warriors to win this in six games. And I believe I was being a little generous. I was giving a lot of respect to Nikola Jokic. He's probably going to win now back-to-back MVPs. And he is a bad matchup for the Golden State Warriors. His size and what he can do, how versatile he is. But the Nuggets just don't have much of anything around him. So I thought the Golden State Warriors would handle this series. And the fact that Stephen Curry was questionable going into the game, he ended up playing coming off the bench in limited minutes. And he's still going to have limited minutes coming up for the next couple games, presumably. So that was definitely a factor to why I saw this series going a little bit more than like a sweep. But Golden State's clearly the better team in this one. They advanced to the second round. And then the Mavericks-Jazz series, the series that I was least confident in going in, just because of the Luka Doncic injury. He got injured in the last game of the season, unfortunately, and he did end up missing game one. He's expected to miss game two, which is very, very tough if you're a Dallas Mavericks fan because they had home court. They had a great chance to win this series, but the home court advantage kind of goes out the window to an extent when you don't have your best player and your MVP candidate. So I still have the Mavericks in seven games, but assuming that Luka Doncic comes back, let's say game three or game four, I think the Mavericks can still take this series. But as it stands right now, Utah Jazz are the better basketball team without Luka Doncic in the lineup. But they also are prone to choke and blow leads. So 
Who knows? We'll see this unfold. This should be very, very interesting. That would take us to a second round matchup of Suns versus Mavericks and then Warriors versus Grizzlies. And in those matchups, I have the Suns winning in six. I think Luka, phenomenal individual talent, and he will be the best player on the floor if he's healthy. But the Suns just have a more complete basketball team. We saw that when Luka Doncic goes up against a better team. He tries to will the team all the way, but he couldn't get it done the past two years against the Clippers. And Mikel Bridges can replicate some of the things that Kawhi Leonard was doing defensively those years. And then Devin Booker offensively, he's he's special on offense. So he could try to match that scoring. Try, because Kawhi Leonard is one of the most lethal scorers in the league. But he could try. I'm taking the Suns. They just have a more complete team, coaching, depth, like everything. But Luka Doncic being the best player in the series goes to the Phoenix Suns. And on the other side, you got the Warriors versus the Grizzlies, and I took the Golden State Warriors to win this in seven games. I think the Grizzlies are a tough matchup for Golden State. I think John Morant and company present a lot of problems for them, and we saw that manifest itself in the play-in tournament last year in which the Grizzlies knocked the Golden State Warriors out of the playoffs, and I think the Warriors will be coming out with some revenge. I think Steph Curry's been hearing the hype train surrounding John Morant all season. He's going to show up and show out in that game. I'm taking Steph in game seven, the best player on the better team. Give me the Warriors. So that sets us up for Suns versus Warriors, highly anticipated conference finals. The Phoenix Suns have been the most dominant team all year. They're the safest pick, in my opinion, based off of what they did in the regular season. They're the team that's showing that whoever they have in the lineup, they can still win basketball games over the course of the regular season. So I have no reason to believe that they won't be ready to do it in the postseason. But I just think the Golden State Warriors are the better basketball team. That's just that's just what I think. I think they're the most talented team in the NBA. And while the Suns have been more dominant, both of these teams are elite on both ends of the floor. So... The Warriors obviously got a lot more question marks. There's more security in taking the Suns because more often than not, you know what you're going to get. But you got a lot of ifs on the Golden State side. If Steph Curry's healthy, if Klay Thompson is in his groove, in his rhythm, which he definitely was in game one. If Jordan Poole was playing like he's been playing, most approved candidate, 18 a game, potentially even more on some nights, being able to take some of that Steph Curry responsibility. If Draymond Green's playing defensive player of the year caliber ball, it impacted the game in a multitude of levels. A lot of ifs on Golden State's side, but I believe that they will come together at the right time. And I believe the Golden State Warriors will beat the Phoenix Suns in six games to advance to the NBA Finals. So I have Golden State coming out the West. Now let's do the East. In the East... The one versus eight matchup, I have the Heat versus the Atlanta Hawks. I picked the Heat in seven games. Purely out of a lot of respect for Trey Young and what he was able to do last year, taking the team to the conference finals. The Heat are definitely the better basketball team, but I think Trey Young can make this a competitive series. How elite he is offensively, he's carried the Hawks to the number two offensive rating in the NBA. And coupled with the fact that Miami is very reliant on their stars, 
I think this could be an extended series. Or excuse me, Miami's reliant on their depth, not their stars. Um, I think this could be an extended series, potentially. Game one did not look that way, but a lot of basketball left. In that series, I have Heat in seven. And then Celtics versus Nets, one of the highest anticipated first-round matchups. Two versus seven seed. Crazy that it's that close between these teams, but I have the Celtics in six games. I think defensively, the Celtics have been just so dominant all year. They're the number one ranked defense in the NBA. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are both guys that can go out there and get buckets. Tatum has been doing it at a ridiculous pace lately. You got Marcus Smart playing really, really great defense. He's probably going to win Defensive Player of the Year. We'll touch on that a bit later. But even without Robert Williams, their top rim protector and anchor the back line of their defense, you still have Al Horford there. You still have Tice. I mean, other guys that can can step in and play some really good defense and make life difficult for Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And offensively, you still have a chance of staying with them because outside of KD and Kyrie, there isn't much else that you can consistently rely on to produce on the offensive side of the ball. So for those reasons, I have Celtics in six, although KD and Kyrie are going to make those games, dog fights, every single one of them. Those guys are so great at what they do. Moving on to three versus six matchup, we got the Bucks and the Bulls. I said Bucks and six. I just think the Bucks are going to slightly underestimate the Chicago Bulls. And think this is going to be an absolute cakewalk. And it very well could and should be a cakewalk if the Bucks come in with the right mindset and the right mentality. However, I think the Bulls may sneak up on people just because they have no chance, basically, of beating any of the top teams. But they do have DeMar DeRozan. They do have Zach Levine. They have some scores. And the type of defense that the Bucks like to play in terms of their drop coverage and whatnot, giving up certain shots, I believe... Those two will have a lot of open looks. And it's just going to come down to them knocking some down. And defensively, they just have to pray because they don't have the defensive personnel to really do much against the Bucks. It's just going to come down to if Holiday and Middleton are making their shots or not because Giannis is going to be Giannis every single game. He's probably going to drop 40 at least once, maybe multiple times in this series. I got the Bucks in six. And then... To close out the first round, we got the Sixers versus the Raptors, and I'm taking the Sixers in six games. I think a lot of people are on the Toronto Raptors hype train, but Sixers have far more talent, and it really comes down to a lot of people thinking that we can't trust these guys, particularly James Harden in the playoffs, which I get. I definitely get, trust me. But this is not the matchup, really, that I think that the Raptors are going to win this series. I think the Sixers are just more talented, more complete. And the Raptors offensively really not have not been that great this season. They don't really pass. There's a lot of isolation. And their rankings in terms of offense are very low. They're bottom three, four in the league in a lot of offensive categories. And in terms of their pace of play, they really play to the strength of the Sixers, of like a slower tempo. And in that grinded out situation in the half court game, the Sixers are just more equipped to succeed uh, in that environment. So I'm going to say Sixers in six games. 
That takes us to the second round. We got Heat versus Sixers and Celtics versus Bucks. I actually am going with an upset pick. A lot of people are taking Miami, but I'm taking the Philadelphia 76ers. I think that they will still have the two best players in this series. And I think defensively, although they aren't as great as the Miami Heat are, the Miami Heat, in terms of their scores in the half court, they they don't have as many shot creators and they're not able to score the ball as well as the Sixers are, in my opinion. So I, I don't think them having a worse defense is going to matter as much because they still have a very, very good defense, especially with Joel Embiid anchoring in the back line. So he will try to attack James Harden. It will be a competitive series. I'm saying Sixers and six, but I got the Sixers. We'll see what happens there. On the other side, Celtics versus Bucks is a very, very good series itself. And I'm going to take the Bucks and six in this matchup. Celtics have a really good chance, especially if they get Robert Williams back. But I just think Giannis is going to be on a mission again. He's the best player in the NBA right now, hands down. And this team is just very, very elite when they're playing at their game. So give me the Bucks to make it to the conference finals, take on the Philadelphia 76ers. And in this matchup, I have Bucks and six to go to the finals. I think this is kind of where the Sixers run ends because they're just not as good as the Milwaukee Bucks. And with the concerns about whether or not Harden and Embiid are going to show up on the biggest stage, I mean, this is an even bigger stage. And the Bucks, just to me, have proven themselves in ways that the Sixers and James Harden have yet to show me. I've already put a lot of faith in this team to even make the conference finals, but no point intended. The buck stops here, man. Milwaukee just just as good top-end talent. They got the best player, and then their depth is just better. It's just flat-out better than the Sixers. So I'm taking the Bucks to come out of the Eastern Conference, and so that leaves us with the Bucks versus Golden State Warriors NBA Finals. This will be intense. This will be insane. I think it's going down to Game 7. And give me the Golden State Warriors, man. I truly believe that Steph in this playoffs and just the complete team as a whole, like they're going to get back to that early season role that they were on. They were the best team in the NBA through 20 games. A lot of stuff happened since then. There were some injuries. There's a variety of different factors. Steph Curry started bricking, and he had his worst three-point shooting year of his career. But I think the Warriors will regain that that dominance that they had to start the season. And in terms of the storyline, Steph was almost traded to the Milwaukee Bucks before this whole run started. So that would be really intense to see him go up against the Bucks. And the Bucks medical staff didn't think he was going to be able to stay healthy. And that's why that trade didn't end up going through. They traded Monte Ellis instead. So that's an interesting storyline if you're Steph to try to get your first finals MVP because Andre Iguodala robbed you of finals MVP in 2015. So he's got a great chance to end up getting the finals MVP this year. I think he will do it. The drop coverage that the Bucks like to run against the Splash Brothers is going to be tough. They may have to make some adjustments there. Giannis and Milwaukee, with their size, they're going to try to attack the Warriors in the paint because the Warriors are lacking size. It's one of their big weaknesses. So it's going to be basically a styles makes fights type of thing with two contrasting styles. But in the end, I think the Golden State Warriors are going to win this series in Game 7. 
and they're going to be crowned NBA champions. That's just my opinion. We'll see what happens. There's a lot of great teams, a lot of teams that could win the championship, go to the finals and whatnot. That's why I'm so excited for these NBA playoffs. And we're going to quickly touch on some of the game ones that happened in the series. Utah got a six-point win over Dallas in game one. They almost choked the lead, but they ended up closing it out. Donovan Mitchell erupted for about 30 points in the second half after having just two points in the first half and having a rough shooting game overall, but second half was much better than the first. They really needed all of Bogdanovich's 26 points on 55% shooting, or else they wouldn't have won that game. Their max contract center took one field goal attempt, a missed dunk, and finished with five points, but he did have 17 rebounds and three blocks, and his defense was stifling at the rim. So give him credit for that because usually his defense is taking some decline in the postseason, but he was able to do his thing in this game. Very encouraged, though, if I'm a Dallas Mavericks fan after that game, assuming Luka could come back because they were right there. Uh, just couldn't get it done at the end down the stretch. Brunson had a rough shooting game, but he did have 24 points. Then when he chipped in 22. For Dallas. Golden State absolutely destroyed the Denver Nuggets. And Jokic had an underwhelming game for his standards, but still pretty good. 25-10-6 with three steals and a block. And he shot 48% from the field. He hit zero out of four threes. Will Barton played really, really well for the Nuggets, but other than that, they didn't get anything offensively from any other role player. Jordan Poole outplayed the guy that's probably going to win back-to-back MVPs. He dropped 30, starting for Steph Curry. He hit five out of seven from three. This was his first playoff game. And he came out here and dropped a very efficient 40 point, or 30 points. Excuse me. That's incredible stuff right there. Uh, basically, everybody across the board was efficient for Golden State. Curry is probably one of the least efficient guys, but it was his first game back coming off the bench. In 21 minutes, he had 16 points. Then you had Draymond doing his all-around Draymond thing, and he played very, very great defense on Jokic. Klay Thompson dropped 19 points. This is his first game back from the catastrophic injury he suffered in the 2019 NBA Finals. He went 5 out of 10 from 3, and it just looked very great to see playoff Klay Thompson back there. Hooping. Moving on to Sunday's games, we have the Miami Heat blowout win over the Atlanta Hawks. Trey Young was putrid in terms of his shooting efficiency, just 1 of 12 from the field. Miami did a great job swarming him. Bam, Lowry, Jimmy Butler, P.J. Tucker all saw time on Trey Young. Made his life very, very difficult. And offensively, you had, again, the role players hit big-time shots. Duncan Robinson Dropped 27 points on 9 for 10 shooting. 8 out of 9 from 3-point range. Ridiculous. P.J. Tucker dropped 16 points on 6 for 8 shooting. 4 out of 4 from 3-point range. And Atlanta was doing a similar thing that they did against the Cavs, just leaving shooters wide open. And they were making them pay. This is the best 3-point shooting team in the league statistically this season. But Jimmy Butler also had a very impressive game. 21 points, 6 rebounds, 4 assists, 3 steals on 9 for 15 shooting. Didn't get much of anything out of BAM offensively, but Kyle Lowry had nine assists. Did some good playmaking things out there. So 
a nice comfortable win for the Miami Heat, but the Hawks putrid three-point shooting. I think they will definitely be better in that aspect. 10 for 36 from downtown, but I mean, it was even rougher than that, so like garbage time, to be honest. The Celtics-Nets game was probably the best game of this weekend. Kyrie dropped 39. He was flipping off Celtics fans because they were talking trash to him. It was great theater. And KD struggled tremendously in this game. 9 for 24, 1 of 5 from 3-point range, 6 turnovers. They were swarming him too, putting multiple guys on the ball, making him give it up, rushing him, making him throw up tough shots, and just rattled him all game. Jason Tatum thoroughly outplayed him on the other end, 31 points, 8 assists, 2 blocks, and he had the game-winning layup, a buzzer beater layup right at the basket. They got some big-time minutes from Al Horford, 20 points, 15 rebounds. 23 from Jalen Brown, 20 points with excellent defense from Marcus Smart. A great overall team win for the Celtics. Then you had the Bucks get a 93-86 victory over Chicago. Really in a game where nobody was shooting the ball well besides Giannis and Brooke Lopez. But they still were able to get the win 6-25 out of 25 for DeMar DeRozan. It's ridiculous. There's been some talk about DeMar DeRozan slippage in the postseason, so that was not a good sign for him trying to move off of those labels that they've given him in terms of his postseason performance. But the Bulls are right there, and if they would have got a couple more buckets out of DeMar DeRozan, they'd possibly win that game. Zach Levine took an ill-advised three, and they were down by three down the stretch, way too deep, that... Potentially, if the Bulls get a better shot there, potentially a different outcome, but the Bucks were just a better team, and they won. Final game was the Suns and the Pelicans, and this game was a blowout for most of it, but then the Pelicans made a rally in the third quarter, but in the fourth, Chris Paul put them away. Chris Paul had 19 points on 7-for-8 shooting in the fourth quarter alone. He finished the game with 30 points, 7 rebounds, 10 assists, and he hit... 4 out of 6 from 3, 12 out of 16 for the game from the field. And Chris Paul became the oldest player in the NBA to drop 30 points with 10 assists in a game. Ridiculous. The guy they call the point god. Uh, Booker had 25 points with 8 assists. DeAndre Ayton had 21 points, 9 rebounds. And for the Pelicans, they had some rough shooting, but they battled. And it's a great playoff experience for a young team that hasn't been there in a minute. So props to them. That's all the game ones. We got more playoff basketball coming up this week. Basically, every game is going to, or excuse me, every day is going to have a game. So look forward to that. Well, finally, to conclude this episode, we're going to talk about the award races. And I'm going to give you guys who was the top three finalists for each award, who I probably think is going to win the award based on what we've seen. We've seen some voter ballots. Uh, We've heard some speculation, so what it's looking like in terms of who's going to win each award. Coach of the year, the finalists are Taylor Jenkins, Eric Spolstra, and Monty Williams. And to me, the winner is going to be Monty Williams. And I've already touched on why he was my pick, so I'll save you guys for that. But I believe Monty Williams is going to win that. The Defensive Player of the Year, the finals are actually very surprising for me because there could have been a wide field for this award. 
Finalists were Mikel Bridges, Rudy Gobert, and Marcus Smart. I believe the respect went to Mikel Bridges and Marcus Smart because those are the top two defensive rating teams in the NBA. Marcus Smart is probably going to win it, in my opinion. He's the best defender out of the guys that made the list. I mean, Robert Williams got injured, so I think that's a big part of him not being in this conversation as much. But he's on the best defensive team in the NBA, so he's probably going to win it. That's what it's looking like. So shout out to Marcus Smart. And he definitely made a great case for himself yesterday against the Nets. Most approved player, the finalists were Darius Garland, John Morant, and DeJounte Murray. Surprised Jordan Poole didn't make the final three, but it's looking like John Morant's going to win it, even though that would not be my pick. But uh, John Morant definitely did improve a lot. He went from a guy that was a star in this league, but now he's like the MVP superstar type of conversation. So he definitely made a jump, but I think there were guys that had more improvement, if that makes sense, because it's not about who's the best player in the most improved conversation. It's who's the most improved. Uh, And then MVP, you got Giannis Embiid and Jokic is looking like Jokic by all accounts is going to win that. Congratulations to him. Not my pick. My pick is Giannis. Rookie of the year, Scotty Barnes, Kate Cunningham, Evan Mobley. Now, this one's tough. I think the voters might be going Scotty Barnes, but my pick is Evan Mobley. So we'll see about that one. That one's a little bit closer. They still think that's time to go either way in that one. And then sixth man of the year is an absolute landslide. Tyler Hero gets this one, but they put Cam Johnson and Kevin Love, who are also my finalists for the award. They made it there, so. That's the NBA awards, and that's going to wrap it up. We touched on the NBA play-in play in tournament, touched on the NBA playoffs, and I went through my bracket to let you guys know who I got winning the NBA championship. Looking forward to seeing how the playoffs unfold. This is the best time of year for NBA talk. So make sure you're tuning into the Buckets Rants show so you get updates and analysis, breakdowns. Just learn more about the game. Have some fun. I'm out. Peace.